Amen. I'm thankful for our elders. They do a lot of work. Thank you, yeah, amen. They're men selected by God to lead this church. Let's hold them up in prayer as often as we can. This, I'll tell you, this morning, I met with Jeff because I'm like, man, last night I'm reading over my message and God is moving me this morning to say things that aren't always comfortable, but God's word is exposing in my life, exposing to our church. And Jeff just, instead of responding, he just handed me his notes from the letter and said, man, God is moving because it just lines up with what God's word is saying through his message and through his word this morning. First off, Chuck is at the back. If you didn't get one of these, I'd love you to grab one. I am a, the, the youth pastor here, and we often give notes to our students so they can follow along with us. It is a good way to kind of keep this. You can even put it right in the sleeve of your Bible, so next time you flip over to Colossians 3, you'll have that and some reminders of what we're walking through. Last few days, we've been hitting hard on the Word and our necessity as believers in Christ to be in the Word. The Bible is one of the greatest selling books of all time, and it's one of the most loved books of all time, but it's also one of the most hated books of all time. I'm going to read you this quote, and it has a really cool ending, so we're going to read you this quote, but French philosopher Voltaire in 1776 declared this, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. Nope. In 1778, Voltaire bragged, it took 12 men to start Christianity, one will destroy it, and he called Christ the cursed wretch. Here's a fun fact. 100 years later from that quote, Voltaire was dead, and his own house and his press were being used to print and store Bibles by the Geneva Bible Society. (laughs) Right? That feels good. Here's the thing. I believe... That the Bible is hated or disliked by so many people because they believe it to be something that it is not. I think that they haven't studied it, they haven't opened it, and if they have read it, they haven't done it with a heart that is saying, tell me the truth. They go into it wanting to tell it the truth. And it's so common for people to view the Bible as this rule book from an angry God. And let me give you a small example. Uh, I used to work downtown London, and one of the things, I had a really terrible prayer life. I wasn't great at it, so I worked in the, in the government building, and there's this huge, if you've ever been to London, Victoria Park. It's a beautiful park, slowly dilapidating over the years by just unbelievable amounts of sin that just happened in the park. Just people shooting up and drugs open on exposure, just walking around. There's, it's just a really hard place to be around, and God challenged me to pick up my faith and start walking through this Victoria Park and just finding someone random and praying for them. My attempt was to do that every day I worked, and I would go find someone. And and working in housing, you got to see a lot of people that were really distressed. If you work in housing, people do not have a really good situation. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're tired, they're sad, they're broken. So often I would see people at the desk or the counter or see the files that I'm working with, and I would also see them out in Victoria Park. There was one day where I had seen a very specific guy that had come in a lot, and he was, often, he was often very angry. And I went up and just met with him to say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you, can pray with you for, and can we do it right now? And he informed me that he no longer believed God because of the Bible, and that he had claimed uh, that now he was an atheist. 
So what got him to that point, according to his words, was that, that God, um, the God of the Bible, had too many rules and it was too impossible to follow the commands and he could never really life, live the good life that he wanted to live if he had to follow underneath all these rules and ordinances of the Bible. The good life he wanted to live. So I asked him, so tell me about your life. I'll give you some points of what he told me. And oftentimes I go back to my office and I journal some of these conversations for, my, for myself. But here's some of the things he said. He said he was divorced twice. He was HIV positive. He had blown all his money on booze, gambling, and prostitutes. He had lost his house and is now homeless. He struggles to get a job because of the amount of times that he spent in prison. And he can't see his kids anymore because he has nowhere to live. And his anger is so out of control that CAS won't let him have access. So he didn't want to follow the impossible commands of the word because he couldn't really live that good life that he wanted to live. You see the issue there, right? The best I can quote him, I went back and tried to write a quote down, but it was something similar that we've all heard probably in our lives, and it was this. At best, the Bible is just a book of rules by an angry God to control us to live in a way that isn't natural to how we want to live. And at worst, it's just a book written by man full of rules and has no place in our lives today. I'm not teaching that this morning. In fact, that by and large is not at all what God's word is. God's word is God's revelation to mankind. It's what God has revealed about himself, his nature and his character, and what he shows us about who he is. And it's a beautiful book that from cover to cover tells the story of God through history and today and tells the story of the redemption of man. Amen. So of course, as a parent, I just know of course there is going to be in this good book some very clear do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts that people think they won't like. In, in, in Colossians 1, we looked first at who Christ is. He gave us a good, definitive picture of who Christ is. Colossians 2, if you were here, and if you were students, I'd say, tell me what it meant, but we're not going to do that. It'd be awkward. So it's the story of, of being built up under Christ. Like growing in our maturity, you learned about the shepherd street, getting our roots deep into the foundation of God's word so we can grow in our maturity under Christ. And now three, Paul is going to give us just some practical application or some practical ways to live as a Christian. It's a really good chapter. It's a chapter that we need to hear and it's a chapter that we should wrestle with, that should challenge us, that should leave us thinking a little bit more of who God is and who we aren't. Because frankly, church, part of our role Part of our mission as, as followers of Christ is to be like in the Victoria Parks and to meet the people like this fella and to counter some of his views on God's word and, be, and say, you know what, actually God wants us to live life and live life abundant. I gave him a couple examples as, as, as a parent, but I, I want to give you this example because it's one of my favorites. Um, you'll, you'll hear why, but... This happened not too long ago. I have four kids, one's 12, one's two, and then a couple in the middle. And the 12-year-old has this wonderful ability to take on some parenting roles sometimes when we're not available. So I'm in my room, and I hear my oldest yelling, no, no, Winter. Winter's our youngest one, just, what are you doing? Mom, Dad, come on and help. So I come out, and once again, 
for some reason, over and over and over this happens, my youngest two-year-old has found herself in the closet digging her hands through the soft litter box, finding sweet, clumpy treasures. (laughs) And it doesn't even end there. Those sweet, clumpy treasures go into her mouth. And I just can't believe it. And it doesn't stop. It just keeps happening. And we're like, stop. Like, don't put poop in your mouth. These aren't even things I should ever have to say. And it's over. Like, just the other day, she's, I just see the little door open because we leave it a crack for the cats. And she you can't stop her. She just opens it. You hear the creak. And her hands just go deep into the treasure box. <laughs> so if we went by the world's dogma... If we went by what the world says, then you would know that that makes me an unloving, authoritative man that just wants to ruin and destroy her world, wants to stop her from having all the joy and fun and just be herself and find her own truth in clumps of poop. (laughs) Like I'm just this awful man and I would sit back and just laugh evilly after. Of course that's not true. Like I'm a father, I don't want her to eat it. I don't even want to clean it. We have fights between my, I'm not cleaning this one. I just hit nine poop runs. I'm not doing this one. Like, I don't want to. But not only that, because I want her to live her best life that I can give her, I put boundaries and rules for her safety and protection, for her love, for her teeth. (laughs) That's what chapter three is a little bit. Less detailed in that way. Chapter 3 is going to give us practical instruction on last week we talked about how to live a life that is patterned after Christ. We just need some practical instructions. And practical instructions means two things. One, you can do it, and it's probably going to be tough. So we are going to read. I'm going to take a drink, so it's going to be a little bit. We're going to read. If you can open your Bibles with me to chapter 3, we're going to read 1 to 17. If you don't have the word in your hands, on the back of the piece of paper I gave you, it's there. We're going to learn about putting on the new self. Three. Then if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right-hand side of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ rich dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God, I pray just this morning as we look at your word that you would give us wisdom as we read it. Amen. Verse 1. Keep your eye on things that are above, where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are not on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. So here's a do, right off the, not, could have said do do, here's a do, right off the start. That's a teenage joke, you'd be fine. Here's some wisdom. Set your mind on things that are above. What does this mean? Where is your focus right now? Where is your heart? What can't you wait to get back to today? What is this too long for? Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Honestly, where is it in your life? Where are you placing your value? Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. When the world around you watches you, when they, when they watch you speak, when they listen to you, when they look at your social media, when they watch you interact with the world behind you, when you walk into the office on a horrible Monday morning, let me ask you, what do they see? What is their image of you? Here's my hope. And I probably, I, I almost, I failed this one, but here's my hope. When someone says, Marshall, either in my death or when I'm not around, that it's not, oh, he's a father of four, that he's a husband of one. It's not that he's a pastor or that he's really good at this or really terrible at that. It's that this, that, man, that guy loves Jesus. Like, my hope is when people talk about Marshall, it's that guy loves Jesus. Man, he knows the word. I'm not saying I'm there. I wish I was. I hope that someday in my process of sanctification, someone will just think of the name Marshall and say, that man loved Jesus. That's where my heart should be. That's where my treasure is. I need to set my mind on things that are above. And verse three says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. A really fun story. There is this story I heard of two teenage girls that just like blew it up in high school. Drugs, drinking, sleeping around, whatever they could come up with. They were two rough girls. And then they went to university and they got worse. Everything you could handle, they did. And somehow in God's incredible grace, they got radically saved at the age 23 and 24. 23 and 24, they get saved, and a few months later, they get this invitation back with their university crew to say, hey, come on back out, we're going to party, and they know who it is, they know what's going to be used, they know what the story is, so instead of coming, they write this invitation, they send it back, the invitation, on the invitation it said this, it said, sorry, we unfortunately won't be able to come to your party as of two months ago we died. <laughs> it must be really confusing <laughs> to get that invitation. But I love that. Like two months before, they were something else. And then two months ago, when Christ came and radically redeemed them, everything was dead. Everything was gone. A new creation had come. The old is gone. The new has come. Two months ago, they died. I mean, folks, we have people here this morning that just within the last couple months, within the last couple weeks, have died to their old self, who have bent the knee before Christ, called him king. So now they are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then this is a new creation that has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So our old self is dead in our trespasses. Like we talked last week, we are dead in our trespasses, and then God alone makes us alive together through Jesus. But in that life that comes, it's a new life. It's a new creation. We're not resurrecting the evil or the sinful nature that we had. We are coming alive again in Christ with a new creation. And what does that mean? Sometimes that means a lot is going to change and a lot has to change. When we're made new in Christ, it means there's some things that we're going to have to lean more towards. We're going to have to do 
better. We're going to have to become more like. And then there's some things that we have to steer clear from. There's some things we have to set aside. We have to lay aside. Look at, look at your Bible with me in verse 5 and 8. We're going to read 5 first. Here's some of those don'ts. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Covetousness, that's a hard one to say, which is idolatry. Verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Just to be clear, these are things that are part of our nature. These are things you are going to wrestle with. Let me be even more clear. Some people here who are sitting here this morning are wrestling with sexual immorality. Some people here that are sitting beside you are wrestling with anger and malice. Some people are just incredible at slander. Some people are wrestling, but I'll say all of us have something that we need to lean into, that we have to change because our nature, our desire is to live a sinful life. But under Christ, we have this new image. We have this new creation. We have this new self. We've got to learn to put on this new self. Like we really have to change our focus from what is earthly. Like if we're wrestling with anger, there's probably something on earth that is going to get you really angry because if you are looking at God and what he's done and what he's changed and what he's done for you, you can't be angry. So we have to shift our focus. We just have to shift our focus to things that above. When things below are crushing us and making us angry or making us slander or making us have some sort of weird sexual desire, we've got to focus our minds on, our, on above, on Christ where he sits because this earth is just going to perpetuate those darknesses and those evil things. Verse 6 says that because of those things, God's wrath is coming to the sons of disobedience. Listen, God is good. That never changes. So what does that mean? That means that in his perfect justice, because of his perfect wrath that comes from a perfect love, God will judge and eradicate to the furthest pits of hell the sins of disease. But what that means for us is we are reflections of Christ. We follow Christ. We reflect Christ everywhere we go. Yes, in your homes. Yes, in your offices. We reflect Christ in our church. We reflect him. So what that means is we have to put all those things that we wrestle with aside. They're still there. We couldn't put them aside. It's a struggle. We got to put them aside. And how do we do that? Last week, little hint, firmly rooted. It's point one of three. We need to be firmly rooted. I mean, we cannot keep going through this world, call ourselves a Christian or Christ followers, and not have access to the word, not open the word, not read the word. If it's dusty, dust it off. We need to be rooted, and then we need to be built up in Christ. And building up in Christ is this. We have a firm foundation, then we have to grow in our maturity. Christian maturity is so significant. That's what's going to lead us to humility and repentance before the, cro- before the cross. We have to continue to work to eradicate these things from our lives. There's a little verse in here, and oftentimes when, when we're walking with students, we're having to, to conflict with what the world says. Oftentimes, if you talk to people about the Bible, they're going to tell you the world, uh, the Bible is discriminatory and bigotry, and it's full of hate. But just let me, let's read together. If you look at verse 10. Having put on the new self, so once we are saved, once we are following Christ, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of a creator, so our new self is being renewed and transformed, listen to what happens. There's no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no more barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Like this is a message, not of discrimination, of how Christ just takes us in no matter who we are. This is what the church should reflect. This is what our hearts should reflect. That we don't look at the division, we don't look at what we aren't and who they are, but we look at Christ and what he's called us to be and that he is all and in all. 
So Jesus comes to restore and renew us, and actually he changes our labels. So where at one point someone was labeled Greek, and someone was labeled Jew, someone was labeled masked, and someone was labeled maskless, and someone was labeled vaccinated or unvaccinated or circumcised and uncircumcised. That's a weird label for today. But there's those labels. And all of a sudden we come to church, and we're not that. We're family. We're brothers and sisters under Christ and Christ alone. We're not known as our divisions. We're known under Christ. Amen. Church, as a result, we have to set our mind on things that are above. A rundown for the last few weeks is just this. We know who the incomparable Christ is. If you don't, go back, read Colossians 1. Let's read the incomparable crisis. Then we know that we're building our lives up under Christ. And then we're walking in Christ, a life patterned after Christ. Well, how do we do that? We read the word. We understand who Christ is, who his character is. And we start to live a life patterned after Christ. And now we're at a point where we're going to start setting our minds on things that are above. Stop it with the earthly stuff. I mean, I can't say it enough. The earth is not ours. We are not citizens here. Stop it. Set our minds on things that are above. Look at Christ, and then all the, the, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think scripture, that's a song. We're going to get that. Sing spiritual songs. I want to read this to you. Verse 12 to 15. I want to read it. I'm going to take another drink because I'm getting all fired up here. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Church, that is us. Followers of Christ, if you're here with me, that is us. Holy and beloved. This is what we're going to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, church, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ, listen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which we were called in one body, church, and to be thankful. That is a big calling. That is a big, heavy piece of scripture. I mean, it's super hard to just forgive someone debts as though I've been forgiven. If anyone has a complaint against another, this is the part I didn't really want to say. Big crier, sometimes I cry and try not to, but just, just let me say this. I've been in the church for 40 years. I love the church. I've told you that many times. It's been part of my life and my heart since I've been a child. I've never seen a season where opinions and positions and such deeply rooted pride in one's own views have caused so much division and animosity inside of a church. Where differences have caused disdain for one another. Where politics or preferences or positions have caused such deep rifts and cause such deep wounds between dear friends and sweet family inside of a church. Too often we will read the sweetness of God's rebuke and then we aim that sweetness at everyone in our crosshairs. Like we just look at God's word and think, yeah, this is going to crush them. This is so that person, this is so that person. But today I'm going to point this at myself and I'm going to ask you to do the same because we're going to read this together. I want you to look at these words and don't aim them anywhere. Just aim them at your heart. Let God's word renew and transform you as you read this together with me out loud. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Man, church, we are called to put on peace, to put on love. It couldn't be harder in this season. It just couldn't be harder, but it doesn't matter. It could be easier if we would set our minds on things that are above. It could be easier, but let me ask you another question, and I don't want you to answer. Just be honest with yourself. Answer this to yourself. When the world looks inside the Christian church, the Christian faith, when they look inside of you at your office or at your family at home, what are the things that are marking the church and the Christian faith? Is it peace, love, forgiveness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, forgiveness? Is that what's marking us? Is that what we're known by? I haven't done it all very well. So if I'm going to ask myself, how do I do that? How do I change that? Well, let's go to verse 16, back to, uh, back to Colossians chapter 3. There's some practical instructions to be practically Christian here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't pass that by. I mean, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, etc. Get in the word. Let the word richly dwell inside of you. Be in the word. And then the second part, I'm going to make another call out. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble today. I'm going to even look at the camera and I'm going to say, church. Look at the next part here. It says, be under good teaching and teach and admonish one another. Man, that sounds like small groups. That sounds like life group and peer groups. That sounds like Sunday morning. That sounds like being tied in with the believers of Christ. I'm not talking about harvest church. I'm talking about your local church. If this is your local church, praise God, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. If this isn't and you're further away online, find a local church and pour into each other. Because then what do we do? We sing songs. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thanks, thankfulness in your heart. Man, even the words this morning were just wrecking me. It's such a sweet thing to sit here together and sing songs to our king that is worthy of all of our praise. Church, come back to church. It's been a hard few seasons. Come back to church. Let's build each other up. Let's lift each other up. And don't expect to just change yourself. Here's one huge flaw here. Don't expect that you can just instantly reflect Christ. He has to dwell in you. He has to, he has to melt your heart. God will change in you as you start to read his word. And what happens naturally is we start to transform the way we think. Romans 12 2, Eric read it this morning. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. Let his word, the teaching and admonishment of one another, let spiritual singing and hymns and praise be what comes together and lifts us up. Let our minds be renewed and transformed for the sake and the glory of the gospel. For Jesus Christ, I'm going to end on here. We have a lot of do's and don'ts. There's a lot more in four. At the end of three, there's some really great ones. They wouldn't, you know, husbands and wives. Let's read it. I don't have to do that one, so I don't have to get in trouble for that later. I want you to read that. We're talking about being in the Word. Go home, finish Colossians 3. Read all of Colossians 4. 
But listen to verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, in everything you do, in the words you speak, in the actions you do, and when you stand, when you rise, and whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. That means we have to remove the things of this earth and put our focus on heaven. Church, I want to stand together. We're going to sing. Actually, while they're doing that, getting ready, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for this, this just reminder of who you are, the desperate need we have to get our minds on you. It's so hard. We're so covered in twisted lies and perversions of the world around us. It is hard. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and strength to be able to do that, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, so the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the people here, the people online, those who will come. God, I pray that you bless them this morning in your perfect, perfect and holy name. Amen. Dressed in his righteousness alone and faultless, stand before his throne. What a sweet image. Harvest Muskoka, let's be known as a people who reflect Christ. Harvest Muskoka, let's be known as a people who put aside all their anger, their wrath, their malice, their slander, their abusive speech. Harvest Muskoka, people of faith, people who reflect Christ in their lives. Let's be known as people who have hearts of compassion, hearts of humility, hearts of gentleness and patience. Church, I'm asking you in this season that we would reflect on the word and let, let us bear one another's burdens and forgiving each other. Church, we've been raised up with Christ. We have gone from death to life. Let's reflect Christ well. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hearts that came in these doors and the hearts that will leave these doors. God, I pray that we know you and love you more today than we did when we came in. In your perfect and holy name.